All right, everybody, welcome back to Outside the Bio. It's Friday, the 15th of September, 2017. And uh, today we've got a cool person here in studio. And uh, if you actually remember back to our first interview over the summer, we interviewed his wife. She was our uh, our first interviewee, and uh, we've come full circle two times, uh, two interviewees later. And so the Behavior Bros are here today. So I'm Pierre. I'm Joe. And if you were to probably talk to James, he would say that was his better half, right? And when we talked to Heidi, she said, um, you know, vice versa, that's, that's my better half. So we're really looking forward to hearing what James has to say. And let's get right into it. Cool. All right, so uh, we've got James Gillio here. And you guys know how we kind of break things down. Uh, we have our impact, which is industry, mentor, passion, action, challenges, and teach. So James, um, I think you're the first person who's kind of out of outside of our behavior analysis slash education field. Everybody Absolutely. else has kind of been in that field. We've been kind of going away a little bit. So you're the first person to completely cool. be out of this field. Right. So we're, we're pumped about this. So just tell us a little bit about your industry. Sure. Know, tell us about your story a little bit and um, what's so cool about your industry. Yeah. So I, I think just from a, a general terminology, we're in the technology field, but uh, we, we take it a, a lot further than that. So we really pride ourselves as being a consumer engagement technology company. So we use the latest immersive technologies like virtual reality, augmented reality, and create really compelling brand experiences for um, professional sports clubs, their sponsors, and, and a new way to connect with consumers to create an experience through this technology. So, um, you know, we focus on the passion points of, of fans and their loyalty to their particular brands using the greatest technology out there. So we produce really amazing VR experiences. For example, I was, this, you know, we're, we're here local to Philadelphia. Um, we produce 360 uh, VR footage. So you know, I was there on the field last Sunday with the Redskins and the, uh, and the Eagles filming some footage. So we work with, um, you know, Anheuser-Busch, for example, through their partnership with the Washington Redskins and so on and so forth. So we work with all of the major professional sports leagues, uh, you know, agency, advertising agencies that um, manage and develop, um, you know, brand experiences for their clients. So ranging from Coca-Cola, Anheuser-Busch, Cox Communications, so on and so forth. So large. Uh, corporate partners are, are our clients, but we create experiences for consumers. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So you were essentially on enemy territory, like being, you know, <laughs> I, being from Philly, yeah, going to the yeah, Redskins. Yeah. And but you know, it's it's one of the things that we kind of, uh, are, we tell our colleagues that you no longer, you lose your allegiance to your team and we love our clients equally, so we're agnostic. But deep down, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, very much a thrill to kind of see Carson Wentz right there and, um, you know, have an NFL green vest, so it was carte blanche. We could, we got in there, and so we took a lot of great footage, and um, so it was pretty neat. Yeah. So, what made you decide to kind of get into this whole VR experience? And um, I mean, did you just kind of wake up one day and say, "This is something I want to get into," or did you say, "Hey, this is a trend we've been seeing, and I think yeah. in the next five or ten years, this is going to go somewhere"? Kind of, how did that come about? Sure. So, I mean, VR. It's funny that you mentioned that because I, I've, I've been saying to our our employees now that VR is going to be a way for us to circle back to the technologies that we've originally deployed, some of the pre-existing you know, gesture-based or facial recognition, things of that nature. But to answer your question, the long version is I was working for a out-of-home advertising agency in New York, and I started to see a trend in the way advertisers were looking to communicate with consumers. 
um, whether that's a new form of billboards, whether it was using technology. So essentially, I had brought this idea to my former employer to say, hey, you know, I think we can really set out and productize devices to major professional sports venues. You know, there's such an affiliation and an, an affinity, I should say, with you know, the consumer and their favorite sports teams. I mean, people go nuts over their teams. And, you know, knowing that there was a very commercialized opportunity with brands, you know, so you're getting, you know, the Bud Lights of the world to underwrite a program. I just thought it was like a perfect storm of, of the new engagement, new form of advertising. Uh, and he flat out said no. So I was actually, was down in Tampa on a ad pitch and I was with my now business partner. He was the director of technology. And we were driving down 95, or maybe it wasn't 95 anyway. <laughs> we, were, we were driving. Yeah, so I was, um, I was on an ad pitch in Tampa with my now business partner. He was the director of technology for that advertising company. And so I basically told him the idea. And I said, you know, I think we can productize and, and create these machines, you know, whether it's a gaming unit or this really integrated photo booth. And, you know, looking back, we produced pretty much the very first Snapchat machine. Uh, it was a little short-sighted on us <laughs> to not bring it mobile, but we had a kiosk. You know, we have a kiosk that uses facial recognition to morph you and, and create these face filters that Snapchat has made popular. So we were ahead of the game, but we used hardware rather than, um, it, you know, the, the mobile devices. But in any event, yeah. you know, I, I had this vision of, of these kiosks and these, you know, video walls that had gaming experiences very similar to the Xbox Connect, right? You know, you kind of take that philosophy out of the home and put it inside a sports venue, and it's, it's a great engagement point. So. It's like, listen, I, I think we're on, I'm onto something here. You know, would you like to, to kind of help me with the technology? And you know, knowing that he had a level of expertise on that, and he said, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. You know, I had mentioned that I had brought the idea to our former boss, and it didn't sit well with him. So, while I was in Tampa, I just took the opportunity to cold call all the teams that I was down there, and the and the Rays took my call. And so, uh, he and I went, had the meeting, did a pitch. We didn't have any collateral. We didn't have business. You know, we, I was, you know, frankly, employed by another company, and so uh, their response was really all I needed to kind of make the jump. And so they said, "This is exactly what we're looking for." And we, we were trying to drive engagement, trying to get fans in our stadium during the week. Um, you know, we're, we have a real challenge. How much is this stuff? And, you know, I kind of—I I don't know the number I threw out, but I threw out a, a ridiculous number to see how, what their response was. And he's like, "Well, that's a little much." And I said, "Well, listen, give me give me some time to frame this out, and I'll model it that it makes sense for you." And so, went back to New York. I knew I felt like I was on to something. I found that thing. I always knew that I wanted a business, and it just seemed like an opportunity. And so, for the net, that was February of 2012. And so, for about three months, I did a little bit more due diligence kind of liquidated any finances <laughs> that I that I had to kind of make the move. And so yeah. <clears throat> I left that agency in April and started the comp MVP Interactive uh, May 2012. So at that time, it was just me and a desk and an idea. And through the help of, you know, people that were just believers. And, you know, I wrote the copy for the website, kind of wrote the, the business plan. Um, just secured some some money that where I could friends family <laughs> scrounging savings account 401k all that good stuff 
credit cards, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but you know how the story goes with many starting businesses, and so uh, it's you know almost you know I hear these stories, and it, it's almost a template of you know, that's exactly how I, I had started, and so. Um, we, I thought it was going to die after six months. You know, the prototype was taking a little, little longer than I anticipated. Getting meetings was extremely difficult. I was in New York running around like a madman constantly. Uh, and then our first, our first meeting with the NBA resonated with them. They, they are, uh, and I'll say this uh, probably until 10 full time, and then we have you know, software developers on, on a bench, so to speak. And so, so the NBA um, took our meeting and, uh, you know, we pitched them and they basically, you know, they're, they're fantastic at giving startups and entrepreneurs a shot if, if it's a product that they feel like they can, they can use to their benefit. And so uh, they basically said, listen, we're not gonna pay you, but you're welcome to join us at the All-Star Game in February. Uh, it's in Houston. We'll give you any ticket that you want, so you can see the dunk contest, you can see the game, but we're not gonna pay you. Um, this is proof of concept, so we'll put you on, it's called the Jam Session, which is like a fan experience. Uh, you know, it's like a three-day event over President's Day weekend. I mean, it is a, an amusement park type of experience. Yeah. So we had our kiosk, which we call the Morphine Station, because it is a, interactive photo booth that uses facial recognitions to morph you into a different character, i.e. what now Snapchat has made popular, yeah, right? Yep. So we came up with this concept to create virtual bobbleheads of fans. So you use a touch screen, you can choose east or west, you can do fun hair, you can choose um, you know, different uh, elements and it takes your photo and then it kind of converts you into this virtual bobblehead. Yeah, so we uh, we were invited to Houston at this jam session, uh, which is a big fan experience. Uh, we weren't even on the directory. Uh, they just said, put your machine right here. Uh, I will say it was good real estate because we were next to the autograph st stage. <laughs> so all of the NBA alumni and all-stars and things uh -huh. of that nature went had to pass our machine to get, and same thing with the fans, right? So they had to get their... Um, their autographs, and then, so that was to the left and to the right. You know, Sprint had this massive. It was basically a full-scale basketball court, and then they had the trophy, the NBA trophy, the championship trophy, right there. So there was a lot of traffic, and um, you know, so our engagement, we had lines. This was again pre-Snapchat, pre-sort of uh, the idea of taking photos and facial recognition and. You know, we had this kiosk that you know you can touch screen and choose customizations, and you can put your email in, and put your phone number, your name, and you get this photo digitally sent to you of you as a bobblehead with like a oh, plasticized wow. version, and so, and then the social element. So, on the takeaway email, you could quick link to Twitter, quick link to Facebook, so on and so forth, and so, you know, that was right around, you know, so that was February 2013. So. You know, social media was really on its rise, and it was a, a real common practice for people to just promote their photos. And so, um, we're able to host a ton of data in the background. And so, we were logging into our our dashboard, and we saw all the social engagement, and we were tracking it against other NBA-themed Twitter trends. And our bobblehead was really outperforming a lot of the NBA-driven content. So, it was you know. It was a moment where I had, you know, we had zero money in the bank. This was it. We bet the farm, and 
know, we were able, based on that trip, to sign BBVA Compass, which is the NBA League sponsor, to a six-figure deal, and that's what really started our company. So it was a total risk, you know. It, it, it sounds like a story, but I mean, we literally had to borrow money to get back from Houston, yeah. <laughs> back to Philadelphia, and we came back with a contract. And um, so we, shortly thereafter, we uh, we worked with the Houston Rockets and we heard uh, uh, Houston Dynamo, which is their MLS soccer team, all through BBVA Compass, which is still the league sponsor. Yeah, wow, that's so amazing. Like, you know, when you talk about like fan experience, and what that means to people. I mean, I know as a sports fan, like that engagement and, and how I, I, it doesn't take much for, for me to be engaged when it comes to yeah. sports. And, yeah. and hearing you talk about just taking that to another level, uh, I can't help but to think, like, what are, have you thought about core values for you guys and, and what, like, what you want the most, uh, you know, for people to get the most out of what you do? Like, yeah, do you have I mean, that, like, yeah. when it comes to, like, fan experience or, yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, in a nutshell, we want to create the best experience for the user, right? We want to create value for our clients, being the, the team or the brand, uh, in that we're providing a service that is achieving their marketing goals, and then we want, for the, the consumer, or the fan, a valuable, memorable experience. You know, the technology works. It's, it's trending to what they're comfortable with. There's a real reason for them to communicate and counter-communicate and engage. You know, the traditional advertising through television and, and general media is all changing. I mean, everyone talks about focusing on millennial marketing and, you know, no, they're not, millennials aren't watching TV the way that we grew up watching TV, right? They're streaming and so ad content is changing. So we, our core value is, is, is really in creating the most value for our clients and the best experience for our users and um, you know just making sure that that engagement's there that's great stuff I just I just learned so much um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about all these different teams and you're right how how they're trying to get to their fans in a much different way in 2017 than mm -hmm. they would have five years yeah. ago so it sounds like this is right up yeah right and, and it really transcends teams you know quite frankly you know we're talking about music festivals we're, we're talking about lifestyle real estate facilities theme parks things of that nature movie theaters brands are now going to create experiences for consumers because that's what we like to do we, we want to experience life and and so it's not TV dinner or watching television really it's about going and attending an event and, and so it really transcends sports good stuff yeah that's perfect thanks James all right James thanks so much I felt like we could have just continued on and on uh, you know so intrigued by just hearing your story and and you know everything that uh, went into sort of finding your your, your path and um, you know building that business and it was so different than what we've uh, known so far. Uh, one of the things that we like to ask people is who is your current mentor and who is like that one person that maybe was your go-to as far yeah. as uh, you know as a mentor in your life or who do you consider that that person especially for someone like yourself having um, you know just jumped in into this world of uh, being an, an entrepreneur. Was yeah. that one person you had? Um, you know what I don't know, and, and, and it's interesting because, well, 
Actively, no. Maybe subconsciously, yes. And so what I mean by that is I felt like I've always wanted to, as a professional in my career, have that go-to individual. And I, you know, I, I don't know if, I, if it's unfortunate or fortunate to not have that. But then I look back at my grandfather who just, you know, we would spend summers with my, my grandparents. And, you know, I look back and it's, he was always preaching, never be a follower, be a leader. I always see his work ethic. He would be the guy that, you know, we'd be in a parking lot and he would be pulling weeds just to keep busy and like to clean things up. So I think subconsciously just being around that, he kind of framed and, and, and I modeled certain things just watching him and being around him. Um, and so that, I think that carried through from my childhood into my adulthood, but now I'm fortunate enough that I have a resource of advisors, um, you know, a board of advisors, if you will, through the company that, um, you know, yes, they are one part investor in the company, but more so advisors in that they've been around business for years, they've had a level of success, and um, it's less about dollars and cents in the short term for them, um, but more so on how they can help us and myself, and so, um, you know, I surround myself with mentors, I feel like, you know, not seeing them as like, oh, you're going to be my mentor, but I just ask questions. I surround myself by people that have been successful, you know, who I respect on a personal level, and that could be, you know, again, said advisors, or it could be my wife, you know, people that I just feel that I can trust and, and I just pull certain things from. So I don't have a go-to individual, I, I feel like I just, have gotten into a habit of surrounding myself by people that I can learn from. Yeah, and when you when you talk about like relationships and trust, and I'm hearing you talk about personal level mm -hmm. like that for yourself, do you feel like that's um, although you can't just name like that one person that go-to person as yeah. like your mentor. Yeah. Uh, but hearing you talk about those those values, it, it's there's those are things that I look for just in people, just in yeah. general. You know, it's really important to me. Like, is that sort of what you look for as well is, um, you know, having these advisors, but also knowing that, hey, I know you know your stuff, but I need to know that I can trust you. And do you pick up on that? Like, there's a difference. I, you know or? what? I, it's almost the uh, the the law of, and I don't even know if this is a real thing, but it's addition by subtraction. So what I do know now is people that I can't trust, and so I've removed myself from being in those environments or around those people that okay, they may have provided a certain value at one point in my life in terms of, you know, lifestyle things and, and what have you. So it's, I've changed focus in terms of like who I want to be around and who I don't want to be around. So I've, I've kind of moved on. I'm just like this snake shedding skin type of thing and kind of went into now being around individuals that, yeah, whether I, I may seek for advice financially from you know, a Wall Street guy to get his perspective on, quote, the market or something like that. But I wouldn't necessarily hit him for an ethics question. And I'm not correlating the two by any means, but, but I have someone in my life that I can, you know, go to when it's, it's a business decision that, you know, is ethical and whatnot. And, and so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of having this, this consortium, if you will, of resources that, that trust honesty, ethics, all of that stuff is very important no matter who that individual is. But I've gotten better 
at taking those people that don't hit those buckets at all out of my life. That's great. I love that. Good stuff. Perfect. All right, James. Thanks, man. So, you know, a lot of times when you interview people, and so far, first three people have been kind of in the field of education or behavior sure. analysis. So, when I've asked them questions about passion, they've told us, yeah, I have a passion for kids, but they've also kind of said, hey, I, but I also love this. Yeah. And uh, just hearing you so far in the first couple segments, I get the sense that for you, <laughs> it's probably one of the same, just the fact that you kind of went all in yeah. and went, you know, with the company, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So, um, Tell us or tell the audience about about your passion. What, what makes you tick? Why do you get up in the morning? Yeah, no, I, you're you're spot on, and I think that validates your your career and your talents there. But um, it's behavior analyst, so um, yeah, I don't think I've ever have experienced any level of passion that I currently hold right now for for my business and the, and its success. And, and so, every waking moment that I have. Every thought that crosses my mind is centered around MVP Interactive, and um, you know I think um, you know when when you hear about passion, you know I have interests. I'm trying to get better at you know recategorizing my life in terms of things outside of work, but um, passion and obsession are, are certainly parallel to each other, and and um, I still have the same drive today, and you know in, in the startup world. It's like dog years, every year is seven. <laughs> but I yeah. still have the same um, zeal, passion, obsession of, of the company's success as I did, you know, in 2012. And, and so um, I can't really say that I have any, I'm too passionate about any other, I have interests, but in terms of passion, I feel like it's a very strong word. And so I, I can only give it to my company. Yeah, you know, Joe and I, we want, you know, after we've had a, a few of these interviews, maybe 10, maybe 20, we want to start to look for trends. And I think hearing from you, knowing a few other CEOs or leaders who have put their all into a company, I definitely hear the same thing, like my passion for the company. That, that's it. You know, when we talk to Brett, our leader here, one of the things he says, like, this is my life. Like, I, I breathe, I breathe. This, this company, this is it. Like, I love the field and I love the company, and it's kind of what I do, and it just sounds yeah. like it's the same yeah. for you. Yeah, and that's like, he talks about, like, you know, things that keep them up at night, you know, and making sure that uh, people are taken care of and, and knowing that employees are going to be able to, uh, you know, be paid, and, and this is the stuff that, you know, sort of keeps them up, and it's all surrounded, uh, you know, based on the company, you know, and yeah. it's like, that's his passion. And, yeah. and for you, too, it's, it, it's the same. It's like, this is this is my passion from the day I started, and the reason why you know you're successful and and will continue to be is because you know all your efforts go into the company, and yeah. um, you know I think that's key as well. It's like that's where your time is going and your energy, Absolutely. for sure. And uh, how do you balance that though? Like, because it, it sounds like all your all your time and energy is going into the the business and, and the company, and I'm sure you have other uh, passions and interests let's yeah. just say hobbies and things like that outside of that like how do you how do you find that balance for yourself I, I, I think what has happened in and um, you know as the company is is growing slowly um, I, I do think that it, you know there's never a singular individual accountable for success right and yeah. so I think we we've developed a nice team that I can trust and and know that it may not be 100% of my passion, but there's enough ownership on their side and passion on their side that 
um, not only from a delegation standpoint, but encouragement of me to take a step out and say, hey, James, we've got this, you know, we, we support you. And um, so I feel, you know, very grateful for having everyone involved in, in the company um, and then so that's that's helped me and then obviously uh, you know Heidi and, and my wife and, and so she has really kind of shown the value of decompressing taking on some getting back involved in, in hobbies and things of that nature and, and sort of blending the two and you know whether it's exercise or reading I mean I was both very avid in those before MVP, but then they kind of went by the wayside just because, you know, you wanted to achieve a goal. And now that there's some level of achievement, um, I don't feel successful yet, but there, there has been some success, but it's allowed me to kind of, you know, get back into running every morning and feeling comfortable and, and doing that in exercise. All right, James, now we get into the challenges, right? It's sort of, uh, what is that, what is your biggest challenge or obstacle that you've had to overcome so far, um, you know, to achieve that one thing that you're most passionate about, which you have already discussed is, mm -hmm. you know, is your company here. Um, and you can also talk about any future challenges that you could see in the future for yourself, like right. something that could, could pop up. but. I'd love to hear about what, what yeah, those are. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're faced with challenges every single day. And, um, you know, our challenges today are different than what they looked like, you know, three years ago. Um, but from a chronology, I mean, you, you, you kind of start with a, a telephone and a desk, and the challenge is trying to grow from, you know, getting products. And now you have products, and now the challenge becomes how do you retain clients? And sometimes the product and the client thing is chicken and egg or horse, horse in front of the, the court, cart in front of the horse. Um, so then you, you kind of get through those challenges and then you, you, you decide, you know, how can we scale? And then, you know, the challenges then become continuing to grow and then con continuing to maintain, um, you know, some level of uh, growth and scalability. And then, you know, the world's against you, whether you like it or not, in the sense that, you know, as passionate as I am about the company, at the end of the day, you know, who really cares anyway? <laughs> it, you know, no one cares as much as we do. It, you know, like if we're talking to Fortune 500 brands, yes, it would be great to work together, but they have other things to focus on. So the challenge is trying to break through how passionate and how much belief you have in what you're doing and, and sort of proving the value to the, to, the, to the world because the world has their own set of issues, right? And so, so that's a challenge. And then there's, there's operational challenges, whether um, you know, we're, we're working on a production and a hurricane comes through and, and towards that plan. And, and so things that are out of your control, um, you know, then there's, you know, similar to your industry, I mean, no matter how big or small your business is, there's, there's finance challenges that you have to maintain and ride those waves. And, um, so, you know, I, I make this joke at the, at the office probably too, too many times a day, but in a startup, you know, it is a high five and a kick in the nuts every single day at the same time simultaneously, right? So the challenge is maintaining to ride the appropriate waves, right? So when there's wins, yes, they're celebrated, but they're not, you know, you can't rest your laurels on them. And when there's losses, you can't just 
fall into a rabbit hole of depression and, and say how awful things are. And, and trust me, you go down there, you know, both high and low, but you realize you have to try to maintain a level of stability, and, and that's a challenge. That's, that, that's a challenge. And anyone who has claimed, whether these are self-help gurus or successful CEOs, whatever, anyone who has claimed to master that, kudos. I'm still learning. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if that's achievable, but, you know, the strive for it is, is a real challenge, right? So that's something that I try to focus on every day, and, and then also motivating people and, and maintaining that level of commitment, loyalty, and, and passion for what we're doing as a company is, is a challenge because, you know, personalities, they, they, they come and go, they stray, and, and you know, it's, I take the responsibility on my shoulders to make sure that everyone involved is as committed as they were you know, two years ago, three years ago, as they are today, you know, and, and so that's a challenge. So I, I could probably go on and on, but, you know, I, I also, you know, when I, when I think about challenges, I immediately think of opportunities, too, because, you know, not to sound cliche, but, you know, you're not going to achieve opportunities and success without all of those challenges. So in one way, I, I really try to learn from, from those challenges and, and know that as hard and as difficult as they are and they continue to be, it's just a part of the piece. You know, it's a part of the plan of success. I mean, it's, it's the only thing that kind of keeps me sane too and, and to believe that you have to endure these things to get to the other side of, of that rainbow, so to speak. And so, um, so challenges are, um, They're they're around us, you know. It, it, sure. It's it's just one of those things that you can't um, you can't necessarily name. I mean, the laundry list would be far too long, but um, it's just uh, you know dealing with everything that that gets thrown at you appropriately. Yeah, and probably your biggest teacher is those challenges. All right, James, we're going to wrap this up here, and uh, we I've learned so much just asking all these questions. I feel like we could certainly sit here all day, but unfortunately, this is our final question, and it's, and it's one that um, we've gotten various answers to, but I, I like to sort of find out what is that one thing that you would teach the 20-year-old the James, possibly, or just, uh, you know, maybe a 20-year-old uh, future or uh, someone who's getting into their own company or business or yeah. venturing in that world is there one thing that you looking back that you would you would teach yourself or yeah you know and, and I think you know and it's much easier to say this now but I think for me personally if I was able to figure out the way to marry a passion and a plan together that would have been an ideal and pivotal thing for, for me 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And, 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 and just as a practical example, I was working in, in Manhattan during 9-11 and I always had a, a curiosity, a drive, an interest, a passion to, to live on the West Coast, right? And so after 9-11 happened, I was right next to the Trade Towers. I, I experienced it all. And I took that moment as an opportunity to say, you know what? Life is short. <laughs> do what you want to do. And, and thankfully, I was, I was young. I was in my early 20s, and yeah. I had very little commitments. I, you know, if you want to call it a passion, it, it's a bit of a stretch, but it was a, it was a, a goal of mine to, to do something like that and, and experience the West Coast. And I up and went. 
but I had no plan. And, you know, I not being able to support the passion with a plan is almost a waste, it, it's a waste of time. And so what I've been able to experience now, you know, especially with having the company, I've, I, I had a passion and at least an idea of a plan and a plan, a model, a template, whatever. Now, listen, you're gonna be thrown off of that plan for sure, <laughs> whether you like it or not, but the fact that you can kind of parallel park the two and, 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 and blend them to say, okay, I'm gonna drive my plan through my passion is, is a key. And because, you know, one can't come without the, the other. You can have a plan, but if there's no passion behind it, you know, you're just, you're just in a hamster wheel. You know, and you can have all the passion in the world, and you know, if you don't have the plan, you're moving back with your parents after <laughs> you, you move, right? So I think Write it's your just, name on the orange shoes, you know, in yeah, the basement. Yeah. So it's 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 marrying the passion and plan. Love it, and um, man, that, that, that's life. I mean, I guess that's just having lived, you know, 40 years. We're, we're about the same age here, so I guess that's probably fair for for anybody here in this room thinking about. I really love this thing, but if I don't have a plan, kind of what's the point? I might really be giving myself a lot of heartache, but then having a plan without passion, I guess almost seems pointless, right? Like, it's then you might just yeah. be in it for the money, but if you don't really love it, you're going to wake up every day. And, and yeah, I mean, you, and you know what? There's successful people that way. I think, you know, there's a lot, most of the, the majority of the world kind of operate that way, right? And so you can do the right thing and be in that box and, and all that, but then... Don't complain when you don't have exactly everything you want or or feel happy right. or passionate. Right. You know, it's not about material things necessarily. It's just about, you know, being, being happy and comfortable in your own skin and, and what your life is. And what your definition of success is. Because your definition of success might be, in 10 years, I can be on the West Coast and do okay financially, but have the sunshine every yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. And be, you know, walking the dog outside. It's not always about money. Exactly. No, I love that. I just think about, you know, times in my life and, and still go through that where, um, you know, there's things that I'm really passionate about, but I don't know what my plan is as far as meeting those needs. You know, right. like when you talk about, I, I really love people and I love to help people and I, I want to do that in some way. Like that's always been like a general theme of mine. Right. And I didn't know what that would look like. I had no, no clue what it would look like exactly, but I knew whatever I did, I wanted to... Uh, help people in some way, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, in that field and helping in a helping profession. Um, but that can apply to any, yeah. anything you do. I mean, you know, even what you're doing, it's, it's not like that was your goal, but mm -hmm. I mean, you're helping people uh, experience and become engaged with um, what their, uh, you know, uh, sports team is or whatever the case yeah. is, it's just some kind of experience. All right, so we had a chance to sit down with James. Um, it was, there was so much there and I feel like we could have kept going and I said this before, uh, he talked about so many key points. Uh, what was, for you, Pierre, uh, you know, I know for myself there was a few things, but what was the one thing that kind of like stuck out for you, uh, just I, talking to him? I think for me, I know for me that the thing I got from him is, I think he's the first person, or he is the first person we've we've interviewed where he is the leader of a company um, versus somebody who might be employed somewhere else. And it, it was the contrast was stark to me. I could tell right away how the mentality of the CEO is different 
than maybe some of the other folks we've interviewed, and they've all been impressive people, but to hear him say that he mortgaged pretty much everything he had going to Houston, or I'm not sure if that was actually something we talked about, or that was kind of in between uh, segments, but coming back from that NBA weekend, not knowing how he was going to get home financially, but knowing he had secured his first deal, um, and then having the sense after he spoke to the to the uh, the Rays down in Florida, the baseball team, that someone had finally validated what he had to say, like you could just see the passion spewing out of him. So for those of you who couldn't, obviously you guys couldn't see him here, so it's just Joe and I, you can just tell that the passion and the industry were one and the same for him. So when when James talked about his passion, I think it was the shortest and question he answered today because he had already kind of answered everything else because for him the business and his passion are one and the same. And that's just beautiful, man. I just thought that was just thought that was great. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what even in between our segments, just chatting with him as we were getting things up and running, uh, you know, he shared so many different uh, concepts and points and I know even he talked about like the passion and the plan but that willingness to uh, risk everything for the thing that you're most passionate about and knowing that this is what I want to do like that for me in my situation just currently it's it, it's hard for me to even conceptualize like in life you know being a father being a husband uh, and then also you know working you know, to have that one thing that you're most passionate about um, was was really just essential, uh, you know, for him, like, as a driving force, because there's been so many obstacles. Obviously, he talked about some of those and, and some of those challenges uh, that uh, he's faced, but, you know, that, that whole, like, world's against you sort of theme, too, kind of stuck out. Like, you know, people always aren't looking out for your best interest, and they don't always want you to succeed. And not everyone's in your corner. Uh, it sounds like he's developed, like, a really strong support system. And he's he mentioned his wife uh, many times, uh, you know, as well. And then also those people that he can trust. And uh, that that was really important, too. It's, um, you know, something that sometimes I think about. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you think about it as well, uh, but yeah, it was, it was great. Just that supporting that whole passion and plan thing. Like, what, would you, would you think about that? Because there's probably times where maybe you had something you're most passionate about, but didn't have a plan. Yeah, I think that was probably the other big thing for me that he said was that you have to have a passion and a plan. So, just having the passion is great, but you might crash and burn, and you may have had the right idea, but just didn't have the right plan, and so. You might walk out of there thinking, I failed, but maybe you didn't. Maybe if you just had tweaked your plan a little bit more, it wouldn't have been a failure. Um, and then I think the other thing that I loved, and you just mentioned it, was the whole world is against you. And what I took out of that was not so much that the world is against you, but you really have to find a voice. So just be, your product may be the best thing under the sun, but if people don't know about it, or if people you know, have similar products, they're just not gonna make the time to listen to you, so I thought that was fascinating. Your thing could be the greatest thing since sliced bread, and yet people have other things they're worried about, and so you've got to really break through and, and find a way to let them know you need this thing in your life. So, uh, you know, 
just that's just the, the mentality of the CEO. I thought it was great. And that whole quote, like high five and kicking the nuts, right? It's just like those things can ha happen simultaneously. Uh, and it sounded like he had a few experiences where where that happened, even recently, and just over time. And I think uh, that was really cool too. That's like our our behavior bros uh, quote quote of the interview there. For sure, man. All right.